Awesome. Awesome. Well, um, I know that Andrea has a word for us. Let's just, uh, why don't we just pray for Andrea, and then we will receive from the well that she's dug. Father, thanks for Andrea. Thanks for bringing her to us. Thanks for putting her in our church. God, thanks that Andrea has a husband named Mike, who is also a blessing to our church. God, thanks that they love God. Thanks that Andrea is a teacher. Thanks that she's a teacher, not just from an intellectual place, but God, from an from a experienced place. God, thanks for all the ways that you've moved in her life because it becomes a way that you can move in our lives. Amen. Thank you. Yeah, go team. Hi, everybody. This is fun. Like, half the group is like our small group, so I feel at home. Um, okay, cool. Well, I've been reading a lot of Genesis this week. And, um, you know, most of us, when we think about Genesis, we think about creation, naturally. It's, you know. Um, but it actually only makes up, like, the first few chapters is Genesis, um, of Genesis. I've been reading the majority of it, which is like 12 through 50, and the majority of Genesis is about one family. It's about a great-grandfather, a grandfather, a father, and a son. And um, that's Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And um, tonight we're really going to focus on the life of Joseph, but I just wanted to back up that, you know, um, Adam and I were talking that, you know, when you approach Genesis, you can't just read one chapter. It's like all connected. It's a family story from start to finish. It's a story how God starts at conception and he takes you all the way to death. I mean, it's a really good reminder that he's with us always and and he's with whole lineages. And um, so we'll start out Abraham... um, Joseph's great-grandfather, you'll know him as the father of faith. He's the man who God told, I will make you a great nation. All the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. That's what he said to Abraham. And then Abraham, of course, had a son named Isaac. He was the promised son, the one Abraham had waited for for a long time. And he was the son who, you'll remember that God asked Abraham to sacrifice his son. And then God provided a way out at the end, and Abraham was willing to do that. That was Isaac. And then Isaac... um, he had a son named Jacob. And uh, Jacob's one of my favorite people in the Bible, not because he's like extra holy or extra like good idea to follow everything he did, but because he was just interesting. You read about his life and you're just intrigued, like you wish you would have known this guy. And um, Jacob was the son of Isaac. He was the twin to Esau, um, whose blessing he stole outright. And this is also the guy who worked 14 years for the wife that he loved. He worked 14 years for it. I always thought that was great. And, and he was also the man who wrestled God for a blessing. He just wouldn't give up. And um, this is the family. This is the story that Joseph was born into. This is the, the family that God chose to bless the whole earth through. Um, but interestingly, you know, by the time I got to Jacob, um, the family had deterior- deteriorated quite a bit. Um, and um, Joseph was born into a family that was quite dysfunctional. His mom was Rachel, who was the the wife that Jacob had worked for for so long. Um, But she had been barren for so long. And in the meantime, Jacob had had children with um, uh, Rachel's sister, Leah. He had had children with two other baby mamas. And um, he had ten sons altogether. In addition, he had daughters as well. But but Rachel finally had a son, and that was Joseph. Um, But this is the family he was born into that was so dysfunctional. Um, there was all this controversy and all this conflict between the women. They didn't like each other. They were jealous of each other. These four women living in one house. Um, two of the older brothers, of Joseph's older brothers, went, um, went on a killing spree after their, um, after their sister was raped. 
They went and destroyed a whole village. And um, then also Joseph's mom, Rachel, dies while giving birth to Joseph's younger brother. So Joseph loses his mom. And the oldest brother, Reuben, sleeps with one of his father's mistresses. This is the family he's born into. And also another brother, Judah, impregnates his own daughter-in-law. Yeah, thank you very much. Oh, the good news is it wasn't his fault he thought she was a prostitute. <laughs> so, you know, not his fault. Total dysfunction in the family. And this is, this is who um, God had his hand on. This is the family. And um, in the midst of dysfunction, God's message to Jacob was, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and increase in number. A nation and a community of nations will come from you, and kings will come from your body. This was God's promise to Jacob in the midst of this dysfunction. And, um, and God's gift was to a chaotic family. He still wanted to bless. He still chose to bless. And this is really good news to us. This is really good news because it shows that God is really merciful, that he chooses mercy over judgment, and that he would rather bless than curse, always. They had every reason for God to curse them. And God would rather give than take. He would rather give a blessing than take what he deserved. And he would rather save than destroy. We'll find out later that this is the family that God, God orchestrates so many things through Joseph's life to save this very family. And it says later at the end of, you know, what we're going to read is that, you know, it was God's plan all along to send Joseph to Egypt so that this family could be saved. This is the dysfunctional family God chooses to save. And it's really good news for you and me because it tells us that God would rather show me mercy than show me judgment. He'd rather show you mercy than show you judgment. He would rather bless me than curse me. He'd rather save me than destroy me. And he'd rather give to me than take from me, which is huge. It's a mindset that, um, that a lot of people don't understand, but God would rather give to you than take from me. So we're going to be reading a lot of scripture tonight, um, looking at the life of Joseph, and we're going to look at four major snapshots of his life. Um, and as we go through the life of Joseph, Joseph, I want you to keep in mind two things this whole time that we're reading, these two themes that run through it. And number one um, is that I want you to notice how practically everyone in Joseph's life rejects him, victimizes him, totally abuses him, or in some way destroys him. I want you to notice the number of people who do that to him. And then secondly, I'd like you to just watch through Joseph's life how faithful he was with whatever little he's given. No matter where he is. So we're going to start off with Joseph the teenager um, in Genesis 37, 2 through 11. Okay, and like I said, we're going to read a lot of scripture. Um, so, yeah, if you have your Bibles, that's good. But if not, it should be on the screen. So this is the account of Jacob. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the son of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel, who is Jacob, same name, same guy, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made him a richly ornamented robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him, and they could not even speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. 
We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brothers said to him, Do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. And then he had another dream and he told it to his brothers. Most naively, I'll add. Um, Listen, he said, I had another dream, and this time the sun and the moon and eleven stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father as well, when he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the thing in mind. So Joseph the teenager, um, you know, this was a really identity-forming time for him. Um, he knew that during this time that his family, his brothers all hated him. But he still had confidence enough to know that he was beloved by his father, his, his dad, and that also God had greatness in mind for him. He was smart enough to know that when he had a dream, it was from God. Yeah, and he, had, he was smart enough to know. Even everyone around him knew the interpretation, which I think is baffling because, you know, so many times we have dreams. We have no clue what they mean. And these godless brothers who have been on murdering sprees and all kinds of other things know the interpretation of this dream where I kind of struggle through that sometimes, which I think is just kind of a lesson. It's just, you know, how much more is there? Um, but anyway, it, he, Joseph knew that God intended him for greatness and that his dad loved him. And so what, and those ideas formed in him so that they were unshakable. So by the time he actually became a ruler, he had in mind, he knew all along that he was supposed to be that way. So these identity forming times were really important. So what happens next? We know this, this story, don't we? Joseph was beaten up. He was thrown into a well. He was first threatened and they said he was, they were going to kill him. And then his brothers sold him into slavery And Joseph looked at his brothers as he was wheeled away, I'm sure. And his last glimpse of his homeland was of his own brother's eyes, selling him into slavery. Um, Then Joseph's brothers, of course, go back and tell their dad that he had been eaten by wild animals. So not a good day. (laughs) Not a good day. So, all right, then we have Joseph the slave. All right, he was the teenager, now he's the slave. And he spends a considerable amount of time as a slave. Um, let's read Genesis 39, 1 through 6. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of the Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he prospered. And he lived in the house of the Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From that time, he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, and the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So he left in Joseph's care everything he had. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. So um, this was Joseph's life as a slave. He was promoted. 
and he was put in charge of everything. Um, he was so faithful with what he had. So what happens next? Of course, we know Potiphar's wife starts to come on to Joseph. This is bad for Joseph because he knows he's not supposed to do it, and he actually stands strong, and he resists her the whole time. But she keeps coming to him and eventually frames him and says that he tried to rape her, which couldn't have been farther from the truth. It was, you know, quite the opposite. And so because of that, the master comes home and is furious with Joseph because he trusts his wife and throws Joseph into jail. So here he is, Joseph the prisoner, and um, we're going to continue on in Genesis 39, 20 through 23. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. I love how both masters that he's had so far, or the master and then the, the prison guard, completely forgot about their responsibilities because they so trusted Joseph. It's, it just speaks of like a really good number two, you know, somebody who the boss doesn't even have to concern themselves with anything that the number two is over. And Joseph was that, that guy. He was in a prison. He was in a really tough place and where most people would just crumble and turn inward. He actually looked at it as an opportunity to succeed. So in prison, Joseph meets two guys. He meets a cupbearer and a baker. And both men have dreams. And um, these dreams were pretty disturbing to them. They didn't understand it. But Joseph takes the opportunity to interpret these dreams of these guys. Um, And he says to them, don't interpretations belong to God? And so what happens is he interprets these dreams and he realizes through the dreams that the cupbearer is about to be taken out of prison and promoted back to his original place. And that the baker within three days is going to be executed. And... uh, I don't want to do that kind of dream interpretation. <laughs> that would be bad. But, uh, but anyway, so he tells him this, and he's faithful w- with what he's given. He's in prison. There are two prisoners who are of no reputation whatsoever except that they're criminals. And he takes that opportunity to minister to them by interpreting their dreams because it's something that they had been so struggling with. And what happens is, is everything Joseph said comes true. The cupbearer is promoted, and the baker's killed. And um, the one thing Joseph asked the cupbearer was to remember him when he gets promoted again. And um, two years goes, go by, and the cupbearer never does. He doesn't remember him. Until after those two years, um, the pharaoh has two dreams that baffle him. And he exhausts every opportunity or every avenue to try to figure out what these interpretations are. He gets magicians um, together to try to figure out what these dreams mean, and they can't interpret them. And finally, the cupbearer comes to his senses and remembers this guy, Joseph, who had been in jail. And um, he tells the pharaoh. And so Joseph is called in and um, correctly interprets the the dreams. And um, here was his interpretation. And... Genesis 41, 28 through 33. So he's standing in front of Pharaoh, if you can imagine, the king. Standing in front of him. He had been faithful with a little, and here he is. It's the big stage, and he's, he's ready to interpret this dream. And he says, It is just as I said to Pharaoh, 
God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Seven years of great abundance are coming through the land of Egypt, but seven years of famine will follow them. Then all the abundance in Egypt will be forgotten, and the famine will ravage the land. The abundance in the land will not be remembered, because the famine that follows it will be so severe. The reason that the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God, and God will do it soon. And now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. We'll skip down to 39. So then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and as wise as you. And you shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater to you. Okay, so at this point, Joseph is 30 years old. And if you'll remember, he was 17 at the beginning of our story. So for 13 years, he was a slave and a prisoner. Okay. Now, I've never been either one. um, But I can imagine, and what I've read about it is it psychologically psychologically destroys you to be a slave. And and in some ways, a prisoner. Um, It... It, cha- it messes with identity, okay? But somehow Joseph knew when it was time to step up, he kept the promise of God the entire time, and he stepped up and he still believed that the promise that God had given him was true. And when it came time to come in front of the biggest ruler of the land, he didn't fear at all, and he, gave, he did the same thing he had been doing all along. He was faithful with what was right in front of him. So what happens is, is Pharaoh makes him a ruler, and uh, Joseph rules well and organizes everything so that um, they store up in those seven years of plenty so that he knows that when the seven years of famine comes, everybody in all the surrounding areas are going to come buy food from them, and they end up selling themselves into slavery to the Egyptians so that they can just have food to survive. And Joseph knew all this ahead of time, and he organized it so it was that way. So everyone starts to come to come to Egypt, and Joseph's brothers come to buy food. And they don't recognize Joseph because it had been 13 years, and he was a teenager the last time they saw him. But Joseph recognizes them. And the first thing they do is bow down to Joseph when they see him. And of course, that's just so, it's the dream he had. It was the 13 years waiting for that dream to be realized. And there are a series of exchanges um, that go back and forth, but ultimately what happens is, is Joseph reveals his identity to his brothers. And that's in Genesis 45, um, 3 through 7. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And let's just stop there for a second. In the beginning of the story, um, you know, the worst has happened. His brothers have sold him into slavery. And at that point, even as a kid when I used to read this story, the best ending I could possibly think of when I was a kid was, um, I hope Joseph gets his revenge and that his brothers get totally and utterly destroyed. Okay, that's, that was like my goal. You know, even when I read it, I'm still tempted to be like, you know, I hope they get what's, what's coming to them because they destroyed his life. Um, but that's not at all what he says. In verse 5 it says, And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, 
There has been a famine in the land, and for the next five years there will not be plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve you, a remnant on the earth, and to save your lives by a great deliverance. And then in 14, um, verse 14, it says, Then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept, and Benjamin embraced him weeping. And he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. And afterward, his brothers talked with him. For years after that, I mean, Joseph lived to be 110 or something like that. For years after that, they lived in that land. They lived in the land of Goshen, and they enjoyed prosperity. They enjoyed safety and blessing. And God delivered Joseph's whole family because of his faithfulness. And um, Joseph is a model for us for, like, so many reasons I can't even count. Um, This is a story that, you know, we could tell and tell and tell for years on end. But there are two main things that I mentioned in the beginning that I just want to revisit and talk about. And the first one is that um, Joseph shows us that it's possible to be rejected, victimized, abused, and treated poorly by everyone you've ever met in your entire life and still come to the end of your life with no bitterness in your heart. He's really, he shows that it's possible that forgiveness can triumph over unforgiveness, that you can live life with no regret in your heart and that you can accept people who have hurt you and abused you. He's, he's proof that he does it. Um, it. It's just such a picture of the Father because, you know, as we know before we came to him, you know, we've, we've done nothing but disgrace the Lord, sin against him, you know, hurt him, and, and we lead lives of selfishness for the most part. But God's desire is mercy, not judgment. God promotes the disgraced. He protects the ones who are in trouble. He raises up the humble. It's God's heart that mercy would win in the end. And that's what Joseph shows us in this. He, shows, he gives us a model to follow. And the second thing I want to land on here is that Joseph was faithful with whatever he was given. You know, going back to his father's house, um, he had one job was to kind of watch over, I think, the sheep. He was watching over him. And then also his father said, go tell your brothers such and such. And so he obeyed his dad. He went where his dad said, and he did what his dad told him to do. He was faithful to his dad as a teenager. And um, also, like I said before, when he got a dream from God, he took it as truth. He handled that as well as a teenager would know how to handle it, I think. In his immaturity, maybe he, he, you know, told it before maybe he was supposed to. But um, he took it as from the Lord, and he took that as something that identified him. As a slave in Potiphar's house, it was his joy to be trustworthy. Um, I was watching a show one time uh, on TV that said, you know, some people want to be the guy, and other people want to be the guy the guy counts on. And Joseph knew he couldn't be the guy as a slave. He couldn't be the guy as, um, as uh, in prison, as a prisoner. But he could be the guy the guy counted on. And um, he still knew that one day he was destined for greatness, but that was not was what was right in front of him. What was in front of him was being a slave. And what was in front of him was being a prisoner. And he was faithful with that. He was completely faithful with what was in front of him. And in prison, he gained the trust of the guard and he was put in charge. And um, he was faithful to minister to the people that were right in front of him. 
You know, um, Heidi Baker always says, you know, stop for the one. She always says, whoever's right in front of you, that's the face of Jesus. That's the one you stop for. And, you know, even if you have this vision and this promise from God to, say, preach in front of thousands or to lay hands on every single person that comes in front of you and they're healed, what you have in front of you today is just as valid and it's just as character forming. And what it is is you have the chance to lay hands on one person the one sick person in front of you, and you have the chance to share the love of God with one person right in front of you. And it's a matter of promotion. It's a matter of being faithful with that thing because God's seriously devoted to building our character, and he's seriously devoted to making us the kind of people who can handle greatness in the end. Because if he dumped greatness all on us all at once, we wouldn't know what to do with it because we're just so immature. It's just true. And, and he wants us to be faithful with small things so that when the big things come up, we don't shake and, and stutter and fall all, all over ourselves and just die, you know? It's so good. Um, the encouragement to us is to be faithful with what's right in front of you. Don't wait for your ministry to start in order to do ministry. This was a, a really, this was a big paradigm shift for me. When I was in college, I, I really felt called to the nations, and I still do. Um, but, like, I was really offended when people would come to me and say, oh, you're called to the nations, you're called to the poor of the nations. Well, why don't you go and, um, you know, serve the people down in the, in the lower-income housing? And I would be offended by it because I would say, well, that's not my calling. You don't understand. I'm called to people who are in the poor um, you know, areas of third world countries. You don't understand. And it was just immaturity in thinking, and the Lord has grace for me. But the immaturity in thinking is, is that I have to wait for one day to do what I'm called to do. When God hasn't given me that yet, I have what's right in front of me. I have the person right in front of me. And so it's an encouragement to us that we don't have to wait to be who we're called to be. And um, another thing that's, that's really good for us is that, um, that instructs us from the life of Joseph is that we don't have to wait until promotion to um, do our job well. Um, you know, every person of greatness that I can think of right off the top of my head has started out somewhere else. And they've done jobs that weren't what they ended up doing. But, the, but a lot of the reason that they succeeded later in life is because they were faithful with their job at McDonald's or faithful to do their paper route or just did the job right in front of them. And it's just an encouragement to us that, you know, like Bubba shared last week, he was saying that um, his dad always used to say, work as if for the Lord and not for men, that's scripture. And it's really true because promotion comes from the Lord. It doesn't come from the person right in front of us. It comes from the Lord. And so to do our job well now means that promotion will come. And um, the last thing I want to share is that God's with you and that he will bless your little. A lot of times we think that God doesn't see us, um, that, you know, when we're just alone um, and working on something or or striving at something, nobody else sees us, and we, we come to believe that it's insignificant, that it's not important, and that it won't matter in the end. We, we despise small beginnings. But God's giving us a chance to be faithful with little because he wants to see what we'll do with us. He wants to see what kind of passion and creativity we bring to it and how we can expand the little into much. And then he'll give us more. And, and Joseph's just a, a total picture of that because he was faithful with tiny things. He was faithful as a prisoner. He was faithful as a slave. And God made him a ruler over an entire nation.
So God's serious about developing our character. He's serious about developing our ability to handle greatness. And he, it's his joy to give us practice in small things. He loves to give us practice. And so um, I guess I would just encourage you guys and myself as well to just take, like if you take inventory of your life and the kind of tasks that are before you, to just ask yourself, how can I be faithful with this? How can I make, um, how can I do something so well that my boss gets the credit? It's a really good thing to ask ourselves because promotion comes from God and he wants to promote us. So that's all I have. Um, but I just, I just know this has lots of practical application in our lives. And so we're just going to ask the Lord to illuminate that and show us what we can be faithful with. And then also just, um, you know, just ask him to come, you know, and also deal with our brokenness and the hurt we felt in the past and the rejection. And we're going to ask him to impart um, a heart of mercy towards other people. So anybody on ministry team tonight, you can come on up. Yeah, come on up. And if you guys just want to stand.